0: and be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 34. 8, starting in verse 31, this is the word of the Lord, it has everything that you and I need for life and godliness, and in the original languages, uh, uh, the original language in which this was given, uh, which is Greek in the case of the New Testament, uh, we have, uh, it is without error in the original texts, and we, in faithful translations, have the assurance from this same word that this remains to us, in translation, the authoritative word of God. So listen reverently, as I read. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I actually read further than I intended to read there, but that's quite all right because that's a glorious passage. The text is actually verses 31 to 34 for today's sermon. So 31 to 34 is what we're getting, we're going to look at uh, today. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Oh Lord, we do need you at all times, but as we often, as I often point out, we need you especially at this time in our week uh, because something very um, holy and very mysterious and very important is going on right now and it involves sinners, um, both the preacher and the hearers. Uh, and, of course, you, uh, Lord Jesus, by your spirit. We ask that you would, you who are our great prophet, priest, and king, would you, as our great prophet, please speak uh, afresh through your written word as it is preached and expounded. Would you please forbid that I should say anything that contradicts uh, what you uh, mean in your written word, and would you please by your spirit and your grace enable the hearers to rightly hear uh, what you are saying to us today? We ask this all in Jesus name. Amen kids when I was a a, a kid myself um, I went to a public school, and I remember uh, at times, I can't remember any specific occasions, but I know it occurred, uh, because children, especially unconverted children, are pretty good at this, and that is saying unkind things to other children. Uh, Hopefully you haven't said something unkind to another child, your brother or sister, uh, but probably you have, be my guess. Anyway, children, Adults do this too, by the way. Adults say unkind things. They just do it in a more adult kind of way, which, anyway, they're sneakier about it um, oftentimes. But kids will say unkind things to each other and will uh, call each other names. Um, and that happened when I was a kid. Again, I can't remember specific instances, but I remember being hurt by the words of other kids Um, in my classes that I was in when they would say unkind things to me. Actually, I do remember one incident, but I won't bother to tell you. At any rate, one of the things that uh, I heard, and I might have heard this from my parents, I probably did, but I also heard it from other people, as a way to counter when somebody says something unkind to you that isn't true, what you you can say to yourself or say to them is, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now that really doesn't work very well because words do hurt more often than not. But it's least, it's an attempt to make words not hurt that otherwise would be hurtful to us and to you as kids or to us as adults. Well, I bring this up because as Christians, unkind things can and will be said to you and me by different enemies of God, who often, if they're enemies of God, they're our enemies as well. That doesn't mean we treat them unkindly, but they're still our enemies. But people will say things to you in the future, or maybe have said things to you in the past, um, that are untrue and are very discouraging if you believe them. And we as Christians... Wow, something's going on out there. We as Christians need to, we need to understand how to handle words that are said to us by other people that are harmful and hurtful and evil and also by spiritual forces that may Try to speak words that are evil and wrong and unbiblical to us. And we need to know how to handle them. We have to rightly say, I will not believe those words. This text that we're looking at here, verses 31 to 34 in Paul's letter to the Romans, which of course children God wrote, as well as the Apostle Paul, uh, so it's also God's words. He speaks in here of people and uh, enemies of Christians saying things that are not true to Christians. And as I say, we're, that's going to happen to you. If you live long enough, that's going to happen to you. And probably already has. And it certainly has happened to all of us who are adult Christians. And we need to know how to handle it. And so this text, in part at least, and really mostly when I get to the third point uh, is where I deal with this issue. So you need to listen um, for that. But this text, uh, uh, that's one of the things that this text really helps us with. So there are three things that I wanted, uh, three points from this text that we're going to look at this morning. First is this, If God the Father is for you, and I put that in quotes, and I'll explain that in a a moment here, but if God the Father is for you, which he is if you're a Christian, not if you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, if God the Father is for you, none of your adversaries can ultimately harm you, ultimately. We're gonna see that in verse 31. Secondly, if God the Father delivered up his own son for you, which he did if you're a Christian. If you're one of his elect, I should say, Christian or not, you will be a Christian if you're elect uh, before you die. But if God the Father delivered up his own son for you, which he did, none of his other gracious gifts can fail to become yours as well. That's the third, second point we're going to see in this text. And then finally, if God the Father has justified you, which he has if you're a Christian, none of the accusations of your accusers are of any consequence. And that deals with the point that I was making with the children a moment ago, and that's the third point. So, let's take these points apart here. First of all, if God the Father is for you, which he is, if you're a Christian, none of your adversaries can ultimately harm you. Verse 31 makes this point um, rhetorically. What shall we say to these things? And I'll explain that in just a second. And then he says, if God is for us, who is against us? That's a rhetorical question. Paul knows that his readers know the answer to that question. And it doesn't need to be even said. He's making a point. So, What then shall we say to these things? What things is he talking about? Well, back in verse 17 of chapter 8, Paul had made the point that believers will not share in Christ's glory that he has with the Father unless we also share in his sufferings, in Jesus' sufferings. The body of Christ must experience some degree of the sufferings of Christ if we're truly in the body, is uh, really a point that Paul is making back in verse 17 and following. Then in verses 18 through 30 of this chapter, Paul goes on to describe three encouragements that we, as believers, have available to us during times of suffering during times of hardship, during times of persecution. And and here the implication is that much of these sufferings will come through by way of persecution, but not necessarily all. And he provides three encouragements. And I'm not going to, for the sake of time, cite what those are, but verses 18 through 30 is where they are found. Well now, here in verse 31, Paul then asks in light of what we've I've just said, he then or what Paul's just said, he then asks the question, well, what shall we say to these things that I've just said about suffering? And your suffering that you my readers and obviously Christians down through the ages because this was given by God to all of us. The sufferings that we will experience as Christians for our, our for our loyalty to Christ, our trust and dependence upon him. And what he's asking when he says, what should we say to these things? He's essentially asking, what is the conclusion that we should draw from what I've just said? And Paul provides his own answer to that question, that first question there in that verse, by asking another question, which is, as I've already said, a rhetorical one. And that is, if God is for us, and the answer, we already, he's, he already knows, his readers know this. Of course he is, because we're his children. We're in the family of God. We've been united to Jesus by faith. He has chosen us and saved us from hell that we deserve. If God is for us, who is against us? And the obvious answer is pff, nobody. Absolutely nobody. At least it's successfully against us. And we'll delve into that now. So he says, if God is for us, what does it mean? To be for God to be for you and me. What it means, quite obviously, is that God is graciously disposed, if I can put it that way, toward you, as one of his children whom he has united to the Lord Jesus by the gift of faith. He is on your side, much as a parent is on the side of the children that he loves. God the Father is on your side. He loves you. He is graciously and always graciously disposed towards you and wants what's best for you. Because you, the believer in Christ, only believers does, to this, does this apply to, but if that is you, this is true of you. God is for you. What's the evidence that we can glean from Paul's writings in this chapter that that is the case, that God is indeed for uh, you and me uh, and Paul's readers and Paul himself. What's the evidence? Well, here's some of the evidence. I'm just going to tick it off here. In verse 29, because he has loved you and me from before the foundation of the world. Verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, He has sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned your sin in the flesh of Jesus in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled on your behalf. Also, He has predestined you to be conformed in your experience to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Verse 29. Verse 30, he has called you. That is, he has persuaded you and enabled you to embrace Jesus Christ. You were not able to trust in Jesus, uh, the Jesus of the Bible that is, savingly until God enabled you and gave you a new heart so that you could believe in the Lord Jesus. He did that. He called you out of darkness. Colossians 1 speaks of that. And he has justified you. This is Further, glorious evidence that he is for you. He has already justified you. He's already pardoned you of all of your sins, past, present, and future in the courtroom of heaven, and has declared you to be righteous, just like Jesus is righteous in his sight. That's true of you. Is that not evidence that God is for you? Amen, indeed. He has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. You you approach God as a child does to his Father in your prayers, O Father in heaven. And you can do that legitimately because God has sent forth his Spirit into your heart to do that just uh, uh, as you pray. Verse 17 is where that comes from. And verse 30, the justification. Verse 26, his Spirit helps you and me in our times of spiritual weakness, especially when we are under pressure from the world and temptation and suffering. And of course, verse 28 that we looked at last time we were in Romans, he causes all things, all things, including, including suffering that comes your way in mind to work together for your good. And then in verses 18 and 19 and verse 30, he has promised to glorify your body on the last day even if you should your body should die before he returns in glory he's promised you get everything back not just your spirit is made alive but so too will your body one day and be united again in heaven in the new heavens and the new earth in a, in a, in a blessed way that the, the disembodied saints in heaven do not enjoy right now they're greatly blessed but It's not full blessing until they are reunited with their bodies. And you will get that. Is this not evidence that God is for you? And because God is for you, believer, no one is against you successfully. I'll put it that way. No one. Now when Paul says this, he is not saying that no one opposes us as Christians, that we have no enemies out there. Paul, a man who endured endured more opposition as a Christian than most of us can even conceive of, Paul would not, he would be the last person on earth to say such a thing, that Christians have no enemies. That's foolishness. No, the point that Paul is making is no adversary of the believer is ultimately of any account when God is for the believer. It's comparison, you see. All of the threatenings of your enemies and mine, all of their plotting against you, all of their attempts to fatally wound or destroy you or your reputation, are in the words of King Solomon, so much striving after wind in the end. In the end. Yes, they may be able to wound you in the short run and me in the short run. They may even be able to take our life. Believers in places like North Korea lose their lives as Christians. And yet this verse still applies to them. Because Kim Jong-un doesn't get the final say over them or over him. God does. This God who has sent his son to redeem his people to the uttermost. And in the long run, your enemies can't touch you if you're in Jesus. And the reason is, the reason our enemies can't ultimately work their um, evil intentions successfully upon us is because the gracious, loving, merciful, all-powerful, and all-wise God of the universe is for us. Is in our corner, if I can put it that way. And since he is for you in all these ways that I have just Said and more he will, without a doubt, cause all things, even the malicious tax attacks, attacks of your enemies in the midst of suffering and persecution. He will cause all things to work together for your good. God's words through the prophet Isaiah uh, to. that that he spoke to redeemed Israel apply to you and me as well. We read in Isaiah 54, verses 11 through 17, this. O afflicted one, remember Isaiah speaking on behalf of God to uh, afflicted Israel. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, Behold, I will set your stones in antimony and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones, describing the heavenly uh, Jerusalem, which is the church of God glorified. And all your sons, will be taught of the lord and the well-being of your sons will be great in righteousness you will be established you will be far from oppression you will not fear and from terror and from terror for it will not come near you if anyone fiercely assails you it will not be from me whoever assails you will fall Because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. And I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That promise applies to you and to me, we who are the Israel of God, servants of the Lord by his grace and his choosing. So, who are your human opponents? Do you have some? Some of us don't at present but maybe you do at present have some human opponents. Maybe a neighbor who doesn't like you. Maybe a spouse who sometimes doesn't like you. Maybe that opponent is yourself all too much of the time. That's true of me. Whoever your human opponent is, think about that opponent or opponents. Who are your spiritual opponents? Not too many choices, right? There's the devil and his servants. Well, they are his uh, uh, invisible servants and then there are his human servants, but I kind of already covered that ground with the first question. It doesn't matter who your opposition is, you see. No matter who the opposition is, it could be the devil himself standing right in front of you. He can only be in one place at one time, by the way, the devil. But whoever your opponent is, there is no opponent who is so strong that by God's grace, gracious protection and enabling, you can't survive the battle. Nobody. No thing. You need to draw encouragement from those words and from that truth. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's a reference to the devil himself and by implication anybody else who's under him serving him. (laughs) We've got a the sermon's prepared for tonight. Uh, We have a worship service this evening and the other two points. You're gonna to have to wait until tonight because of the time. Please come tonight. It really, Lord willing, will be worth your while uh, to come this evening. In conclusion, just want to remind you again, whoever the enemy is, someday, sooner or later, you're gonna be sorely afflicted by spiritual or human enemies. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to give in to the temptations that are accompany that opposition. You're going to want to say, God, I'm out of here. It's just not worth it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Actually, Satan's not in hell. It's a lie from the devil. And so too, again, is the lie that you may hear ringing in your ears, I can't, I can't stand this anymore. You can. Why? Because God is for you. Who can be against you successfully? Let's pray. Our Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you that you are for us in all these ways that I have that that Paul has pointed out and I have brought to our attention thank you that your love for us your grace toward us is overwhelming in Christ and that we are victors in The victorious one, the Lord Jesus, who now reigns over the church and over the cosmos, and through whom you, the triune God, are in the process of subduing all of your enemies and ours to yourself, either by way of conversion or destruction. We thank you that in Him we reign in Jesus. Would you please help us to, in our daily lives, especially when we're undergoing opposition, would you help us to flesh out the application of that truth as we deal with our opponents, both fleshly and spiritual? And would you help us to cling ever more tightly to Jesus as we do? And for If there's anyone here today, Lord Jesus, who does not know you as savior and Lord, as prophet, priest, and king, would you please subdue the heart of such a rebel and make him or her see their need of you and cause them to flee in faith to you alone for their forgiveness and eternal well-being. We pray this all in your name. Amen.